there, you're listening to Context, giving you a biblical perspective on issues of race, inequality, gender, abortion, culture, and so much more with Timba Lamini. Jesus or justice, enslaving a human being, exploiting the poor, abusing a child, stealing from a widow. Most, if not all of us, would agree that using force or fraud to exploit the vulnerable is evil. We carry within us an innate sense of right and wrong, a conviction that oppressors should be punished and the weak protected. We want justice. Justice in its simplest form means to set things right. Yet how do we know what is right? Who defines what is right? Is it society at large or the culture we live in? Is there a moral law that we inherently know to follow? As Christ followers, the answer is simple. Our sense of justice is imparted to us by our Creator God. He is loving, kind and merciful. He is also righteous, holy and just. If that's the case, why has theology in South Africa made us choose between Jesus and justice? Hello and welcome to Context. I'm thrilled that you have chosen to spend this time with us. Answering the question why the church has struggled to submit to the core for biblical justice, we have John Skippers, a man and a brother who truly loves Jesus and our nation. John is a true gift to many Christians who struggle to reconcile Jesus and justice. He is the founder and director of Isipambano Center for Biblical Justice. He has written a master's thesis titled, A Critical Evaluation of the Conservative Evangelical Great Commission Paradigm, of mission as it relates to social justice in the South African context, which he passed cum laude at Stellenbosch University. John, welcome to Context sure. and tell us more about yourself. Who am I? Um, yeah, I feel like that question was so easy to answer 20 years ago when I was 20 years younger, but I feel like there's so much more to me. I think as you as as life grows, you kind of grow and there's levels to the story. But I mean, so in, in short, I, uh, I'm a Cape Town boy. I'm probably that, that guy that your, your parents warned you about from Cape Town. Um, <laughs> I love the city. Uh, I, I am one of those born and bred Cape Townians. So yeah, you can make all your, all, all your comments about it. I do love the mountain and I am suspicious of all things Joburg, you know, those kind of things. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those guys. Um, I love the city. It's a beautiful but very broken city. Um, and so, yeah, you kind of live with that tension. I am a 45-year-old white male, so that's a whole lot of other things you can assume about me then. I live through the generation that um, saw so many changes um, to apartheid. You know, I mean, I, I remember Nelson Mandela being released. I voted at 18 years old in the first election. I remember friends of mine... Um, because I, I was actually quite privileged in quite an unusual thing to have a quite a multiracial, multi-ethnic friendship group uh, pre-1990, well, pre-1991 when the schools opened, I can't remember. Um, but so I, I remember my friends applying for and moving schools and going to, I don't know if there were Model C schools there. So I'm kind of, so that's kind of where you can place me. So, and there's, there's a lot of, of learning that's happened through all of that. Um uh, I suppose, yeah, I'm married, I have two children, and I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah, I became a Christian in my teenage years through the ministry of an organization called Scripture Union, uh, and I've been involved in many other kind of ministry endeavors since then, which would take another five podcasts if you wanted to ask me about them, probably. Yeah, um, 
I, I am a mad football fan, I should tell you, and uh, and uh, I I'm not a Arsenal. I hope to my cause. No, I'm not an Arsenal supporter. I'm a Liverpool supporter to my bones. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that that's important things you need to know about me. Um, <laughs> no. So so John. Um, I think just heading into into the discussion, I think you, I mean, your experience, as you said, it's, it's multi-layered, you know, you've been through um, many episodes of this country. And I think mm. the first question that I think we want to unpack for our listeners is, now, shouldn't we just stick to the gospel and forget about things like the name of the episode, inequality, which we are dealing with inequality and looting and poverty. Shouldn't we just stay away from those types of things? And by the way, they're political anyway, and we should just focus on the gospel and not these things which are politicized. And by the way, they will be with us all the way till probably Christ's return. What What is your response to that? Well, <laughs> In, in some ways, I agree with people. We should just focus on the gospel. I think which which raises the question of what is the gospel, right? And so for me, and I think I think the reality is, and certainly this is uh, the way I grew up in the church, and um, for many years have been a strong proponent of this, is that the gospel we would understand is primarily or even exclusively a spiritual reality where. Um, I accept the work that Jesus did on the cross as the punishment for my sins to take away the wrath of God so that one day I can go to heaven. And that is almost exclusively a future reality. Um, And where it does break in, it breaks in primarily through personal and interpersonal holiness. So, you know, don't have sex with your girlfriend, uh, don't do drugs, you know, don't swear too much, um, don't, uh, you know, pay your taxes, that kind of thing. I mean, do pay your taxes. Uh, yeah, those kind of things we will talk about. But where is it actually comes to the rest of society, um, then the gospel doesn't actually have much to say. Jesus will redeem that one day. And our job is to not get involved in politics. Um, and so if that is the gospel, then I think the question is absolutely right. I think those who do not get involved in political issues are absolutely right. We just need to focus on the keep, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. I've heard that lots. Uh, Just preach the gospel. Uh, Jesus will kind of sort it out one day. But what if the gospel is bigger and richer and more dynamic than we actually imagine? What if when you read scripture, we see a God who's about redeeming and restoring and renewing all things, you know, Colossians 1 verse 20, Ephesians 1 verse 10, those kind of places where we're bringing all things um, under the headship of Christ, not just one day. And when we when we look through Scripture as well, um, uh, don't really have time to do this, but like trying to just shortly, we see that 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 God is, is is dealing holistically with creation all the time. Creation is holistically. The fall is holistic. Every aspect of life in creation is affected by sin. Um, you know, salvation is throughout the Old Testament is p- pictured holistically. It's, um, you know, when God rescues his people out of Egypt, he brings them into a land with a totally different economic and political uh, and social way of being. He's saying what, what was happening in Egypt to, to be my liberated people is totally different. 
Um, and and the reason I say that is I think it's, it's it's significant because the Exodus really is kind of the the paradigm for salvation, not only in the Old Testament but in the New Testament. Where they're always referring back to this this new Exodus in whether it's in literally using their language or or alluding to it. In, as we we do our theology, we find that in fact Jesus himself picked up that same language, and in some ways his life story is meant to mirror that. You know, we think of just in Matthew where he comes as a refugee from Egypt. He comes back to Israel. Um, and so we have all these, these hints of that. And so in a sense, we've got to say, well, well, if the Exodus is the paradigm for, for salvation, well, what is the Exodus about? Well, it's about political, economic, spiritual, social uh, redemption, all of that. And so when Jesus picks up that language, he doesn't change it. He doesn't say, yes, you thought it was that, but it's only spiritual. And I want to I say that I think many people might mishear me saying that it absolutely has a spiritual component. It includes your personal salvation, your walk with God, your sins being forgiven. We're not, we're not saying less than that. That is absolutely crucial. But we're saying once when we get a hold of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, it changes absolutely everything. And the king, so the gospel is about the kingdom of God being broken in under King Jesus. And that has something to say to every aspect of life. And I I don't think it's just a one-day thing. I think the picture in the New Testament and throughout Scripture is that when Jesus stood, rose from the dead, and he, he walked out that grave on the third day, life and justice and mercy uh, and, and inclusion um, and salvation and forgiveness and, and all these kind of things, they walk out with him. So to, to answer the question, I guess, is a long way of saying it, but isn't it just about... Should we just focus um, on the gospel? Well, absolutely we should. And the gospel affects all of that. And the gospel is about saying, what does it look like for the peace of God, the flourishing of God? What does it look like for the shalom of God to come in this situation? Um, and that can, and that's as diverse as the situation. So we say, what does it look like for this person? Well, do they need to hear, do they need to hear about King Jesus who takes away their sins? Absolutely they do do that. Are people hungry? Well, then let's let's talk about that. Are there systems that oppress them? Let's talk about that. Why do we have to choose? Um, and I don't. When I look at scripture, I don't see scripture making those choices. I think we make those choices. Mm. And uh, one, and I think we have to ask ourselves where do those choices come from, and who benefits from that kind of narrow gospel? I think we have to ask that. Okay. No, power, power, John. I think you know, anyone listening to, to you right now is asking the question, you know, especially if, you know, you the, the kind of understanding of the gospel has always been the one that is, let's proclaim the gospel. And somebody is potentially is in a situation where they are struggling and they are struggling to reconcile with some of the things they see in a God that cares. And they're asking yeah. themselves the question, where was John Skippers, you know, <laughs> all these years or where was this type of uh, uh, um, sort of theological exposition you know um, as far yeah. as the South African context is concerned because uh, you and I can agree that it's th that's not how the church has always when I say the church I'm not talking about one specific church you know out yeah. there in the middle of nowhere but I'm talking about the collective uh, church you know the collective bride of Christ in South Africa, that it has not always expressed itself uh, in a way that embraces that dual challenge, if I may call it that, you know, that the gospel, you know, instead of the gospel being so narrow, but there's a bigger component and a wider uh, reach to the gospel. You know, so where was 
this type of sort of exposition up yeah. until now, you know, or yeah. if there is one already, but where where has um w- yeah where 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 yeah. where have where have we gone wrong? What 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 is the context that yielded this type of 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 gospel that has led us to believe that it's so narrow? Yeah, so, okay, so there's quite a few thoughts in there. So, so let me pick up and saying, where was this kind of thinking? I think it's always been here. I think certainly in the traditions I come from, we we we, we killed the prophets. So people sure. have said things like that. I mean, and very often uh, people uh, and, and, you know, church leaders have raised these questions. They've asked questions about them. And we have, we have, we have sidelined them. We have demonized them. We have chased them out the church very often. We have labeled them all kinds of things. And so one of one of my, th- my my I guess learnings over the last few years has been actually God has always had His people. These questions have always been there. This this um, this holistic gospel has always been proclaimed, but. We, We've either not known, we've been looking in the wrong places, and when we have been, we've been driving them out. So I think very often if you want to find it, you have to look in the black church. You have to look in Latin American church traditions. You have to look in African-American traditions, and you will find it. And and that's not to say, like, you know, there's no Western theologians who've raised it. There have been. Um, but, I mean, we can think of someone like uh, Bears Nordir who yeah. – who raised it and and was I mean he he was kicked out the church sure um, and um, I think possibly some of us would just say oh he maybe ended up in some more radical positions than some of us would be comfortable with I don't know but again we're like well how does he get there <laughs> you know uh, that's how he, he was asking questions and you you get you pushed out um so I think that's the one that that's the one thing I would say is I think this has been here for a very long time and the more I read. The more I look at it, the more I'm going. God has been speaking clearly, and we have not been listening. Um, sure. the, the kind of the second part you were saying is how do we get to this narrow kind of gospel? Um, I, th- I think it's I think it's complicated, and so I think it's far more nuanced than we'd have, we have we 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 have time to to deal with here. But so maybe I'm just going to give a couple of thoughts. So so if anyone's listening and feel like feels like this is inadequate, I'm I'm saying up front it's inadequate. But I, I think. At least one of the things, and certainly in a country like ours, which has been so heavily racialized, is uh, and and which was built, a country South Africa, which was built in such a way and put it together in such a way to benefit some at the expense of others, to benefit certain racial groupings, so-called racial groupings, at the expense of others. Um, and we've got to be honest that our, our theology was part of that system we built. Hmm. And so a... A theo- so if the Bible is full of talk of justice, if the Bible is full of talk about caring for our neighbor, if the Bible is full of talk about uh, caring for the poor and the marginalized and including them and not exploiting your neighbors, the Bible has plenty to say against greed uh, and supremacy, which I think we can all agree it does. How do we get to a point where we are a church in a country that signs off on systems that are essentially that? Well, essentially what we have to do is we have to create a theology that justifies that. Sure. And we created theology that says the most important thing is not the, all these things you see around here. It's, it's that we get to heaven one day. And so we will do all kinds of mission work to black people and to all kinds of other ethnicities, and we will get them saved for heaven one day. 
but in, in such a way that I, as a white person, am enjoying the benefits of that unjust system, and I'm never questioning it. And in fact, I can be orthodox, and I can be faithful, and be even upheld as a Christian, as a great Christian leader, but I've never questioned the system that benefits me at the expense of my so-called brother and sister who are living in poverty, but yet I will go preach them. And maybe, and let's, let's be honest, the church has always been quite good at charity. So we'll take food parcels and maybe help them out with a school uniform or something like that, which is, which, which is biblical and that's good. But we never stop to say, why are certain people always hungry? Why, why are certain people, why, why are certain people as a generalization struggling to get school uniforms for their kids? Whereas, most people in our community can. And so I think this narrow gospel um, comes, it comes from a certain kind of spirituality, but a kind of spirituality that is, is built off the enlightenment, that is built off colonialism, um, and that is built off apartheid that actually ben- that allows us to benefit while still being followers of Christ. And we do that. I, w- I want to make a caveat here because I think it is important to say is I am not saying that everyone who held to that theology is not a Christian. Right. I, I-, I think that's a very uncomfortable conversation. Hmm. I mean, if you're asking me, John Skippers, I'm like, we're canceling them all. That's done. You yeah. know, but thank goodness I'm not God <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because I'm as hypocritical as the rest of us. Right. Um, and I think we've got to say that somehow in the midst of that, there were people who genuinely believed they were doing uh, what God was calling to. There were people who were genuinely trying to follow Jesus, but they were, but we, and that's why I think teachers are judged more strictly in that sense is because, because we were taught a theology that we were, we, we essentially had to choose between Jesus and justice. And for many of us, the choice was obviously Jesus. For, for many others, by the way, the choice was justice and they ended up leaving the church. And I think sure. of many of our, of our leaders of the struggle for liberation were raised in mission schools. Many of them have histories in Christian organizations, but when they had to choose between, between this Jesus or actually liberation and being able to feed and care for their, their people and their family, they said, I'm not interested in that Jesus. Hmm. It was sure. always a false choice. Um, so I think we want to say is that, yes, I don't think we, we're just kind of writing off generations of people as not being Christians, but we have to say that our theology uh, was part of the structure that enabled some to benefit at the expense of others. And worse than that, we actually taught, as white people, we taught this theology to black people as orthodoxy. And so actually, so they wanted to follow Jesus and they were forced to actually perpetuate the system of oppression against themselves sure. um, if they wanted to follow Jesus, which for me is is, is particularly, um, I want to use the word evil and I'm going to, so yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and there's a point that you're making where you're talking about the issue of choosing between justice and 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 Jesus. You know, um, it sounds poetic yeah. as 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 is, and you know, and you know, even as you're speaking, I can almost hear, for example, um, let's say on the other side, you know, a listener and a white guy sitting there saying, "No, no, hang on a second. You just mentioned that." Um, you know that others couldn't provide for their for their kids, for example, uniform. And I think it does take me back to an extent to fees must fall and that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, where I can hear a legitimate white voice saying, "Hey, I worked very hard. I was not sleeping. You know, I was working super hard to make sure that my kids are able to be taken through school. There is nothing yeah. for free." 
you know, unless yeah. you want to have a banana a, a republic, you know, and so how then do you how dare do you then attribute my capacity and my toil the sweat of my brow as it were to uh, an unjust system you know and then obviously mm -hmm. i think i want us to still double dip on that uh, jesus and justice um mm -hmm. dichotomy which you're quite right you know and there's so much in there but on just on that yeah. part the, the the guy who's saying hey i've worked hard <laughs> you know why are you yeah. calling me a, a perpetuator of an unjust system Right. Okay. So, so, so first of all, let me tell you my background. So I, I'm, I'm white working class. Okay. Right. So, so, and I say that because I'm not one of these guys who went to fancy Southern suburb schools here in Cape Town. We didn't go on overseas holidays. Um, you know, my dad worked for the council. Uh, my mom was a hairdresser. We, I, we struggled. I mean, I was the kid who was wearing hand-me-downs. You know, I, I know the lay-by system very, very well, you know. Right. Like, I remember, like, longing for that new pair of tackies, and by the time you get it, no one's wearing them anymore. You know, that kind of system. We, I know what it's like. I mean, I remember... Um, you know, we, we never had extra money. It was a month to month, sometimes week to week living. Um, the, it was a struggle. My parents worked incredibly, incredibly hard uh, just to put food on the table. So I don't say this from a system of some kind of privilege, but here's the difference. And, and this is what the system is designed to produce. My parents' hard work, as hard and as painful and as much of a struggle as it was, and as little as I understood it at the time, by the way, uh, it what it meant was that it, after many, many years of painful toil and struggle, it did bear fruit. Right. They worked hard and they were able to put me through school. I was the first of all my cousins to go to university, you know, things like that. Um, my parents were able to eventually buy a house. I mean, I can tell you stories about that, that house being built and the fights and things, but, but they were able to do that. Whereas the, the, the average or the, the normal experience for a black person is you work incredibly, incredibly hard. And I think a, a lot of, a lot of ways that's still true today, actually, but certainly during a party, you work incredibly hard and you never, ever get out that cycle. You never, ever get ahead. In fact, you end up getting behind. And that's the difference um, because, you know, your white privilege has got nothing to do with your hard work. It just means that, that one of the things you don't have to work hard to overcome is the color of your skin. Right. You get certain benefits and advantages because of that. Um, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you didn't work hard. I know that. Um, and well done for working hard, but that doesn't mean you haven't been privileged. Um, is that, yeah. Sure. And I think, I guess uh, that's where the struggle comes in, because I think, um, you know, if you're looking at it in the South African context, um, there is this thing that we all come from these silo settings, that we're only yes. exposed to our immediate surroundings. And we look around, even when we compare ourselves, we compare ourselves with our neighbor, and we don't realize that two blocks down the line, the, the, the standard of living, the struggle, and, and, sure. is so much different, you know, and the, yeah. the, the layers and the degrees of difficulty um, are so layered to the point that, mm -hmm. you know, we are incapacitated from actually... Um, um, having a distilled view, honest view, you know, where we hold intention, different yeah. variable contributors to why things are, to the point that an acknowledgement of 
privilege, for example, it therefore must mean I did not work hard, right? So yeah. therefore, because you know, there's there's an element of I am not willing to accept that, and and rightfully so, because I, I saw my dad, like what you've mentioned in your life, you know, with, with them working hard. Then who's this person coming to tell me, you know, it's because of privilege, yeah. which obviously, in a way, it kind of downplays or uh, underappreciates, you know, my my contribution. But then. Because obviously of the fact that we are so siloed and that kind of stuff, and then it becomes this uh, barrier to honest yeah. engagement about the South African reality, which then mm-hmm. means there's 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 that the aspect of the way we set up, which does not give us the context to be able to reckon with reality. Then we have the theological issues, and I know you speak about the fact that the church, in many ways, you know, was complicit. To the point of being instigators uh, of yeah. oppression, where then we have this thing of it's either I choose Jesus or I choose justice, which I guess becomes something that is still manifesting itself in more complicated ways, but it's still very much true in the South African context, where yes. even with the, the recent looting, you know, there's there's always a rush to say. Hey, this is just criminal. Finish and clear. Right. right? You yeah. know, you can't, there's no justification for this type of stuff. You know, right. and at face value, it looks trite. Or not trite, it looks correct. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know what I'm saying. Okay. That's just, that's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. And you, you, you're stealing, obey the yeah. law. You're not obeying the law. And so, you know, what else are you, are you, are you, are you to talk about? We're on the other flip side of the coin. Someone says, no, if Christians think like that, I don't want that gospel because it feels so empty, feels so right. incomplete. And it's almost designed as a, as, as, as a, as a tool to keep black men, black people in the South African context in perpetual oppression or subs, yeah. subs, subservanthood um, within within the, the the job market, within the, the, the employment sector, yeah. I mean, sorry, within the business sector, within even the schooling environment itself, where, oh, yeah. you, where you know, there's so many <laughs> hurdles just to get an mm. education. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I can say, I mean, uh, maybe I can just say something about the silos quickly, and then is just I think um, one of the things about the silos, and, and this is we're going to remember because we do exist in our silos. We do exist that we don't know each other. We don't know each other's communities very often. And I live in Cape Town, so like we perfected it here, guys. Um, and nothing to be proud of, but we there's a reason why those those um, the country called Cape Town. Cape Town. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's a reason why it's there. Um, and but. The, the reality is, and this is what we're going to realize, and we've got to we've got to come with open eyes, is that those silos were designed that way. We were designed to be kept from one another. Right. Our society was set up in such a way that those of us who are beneficiaries of privilege did not have to actually, in one sense, effectively see what we've done. We did not actually have to engage with the fact that I that what my privilege where 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 these benefits are coming from, who's paying for them actually? I mean, yes, my hard work, but also other people are being denied them, and so and so we don't know, we don't understand what things are like. And of course, we create narratives about all these communities um, so that we are kept away, you know. 
Um, but and even even between the so-called races, I mean, in Cape Town, I, I often like to tell people that we there's a railway line that divides Mannenberg from um, from Mannenberg from Google Air to right, right. Um, and and you you're, you're there now. Mannenberg's predominantly a colored a so-called colored area, and if you're in Mannenberg, and they will tell you those people on the other side in Cooks, they will kill you. They are crazy. They are dangerous. They're violent. If you go over the 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 line. <laughs> into into Googs, you know what they're going to tell you? Those colors in Mannenberg are violent. They are gangsters. They will sure. kill you. I mean, and that's a somewhat of a generalization, but mm. that's exactly what it is. We're we're designed to keep away, and we do, we create these narratives um, in order to keep us apart. Of course, if you're in in a traditional white suburb, you know all of it. Everyone, no matter which side of the railway line there is dangerous. And so we keep perpetuating those narratives, which are actually designed to keep us apart, to keep us from not knowing. So both actually seeing the injustices, but actually from knowing the learned experiences. And when we do have like reconciliation events or these kind of things, where do they happen? They happen in white spaces hmm. or traditional white spaces. And so we ask people to come from Manamur, Googs, Kailicha, I'm using Cape Town terminology. We ask them to come into traditional white spaces. And that's a power dynamic. Also, that's, that's and, and, the, and those people, let's be honest, have been coming that, been traveling that journey for years because for work, for employment, for all kinds of things. And the question is, are we going the other way? Because um, for me, that's, that's, that that's really what reconciliation starts to look like to say what it would look like for me as one who's traditionally had all the power to actually give up that power and go somewhere where I'm possibly scared. I'm certainly ignorant. Um, I don't know what it's like here. And actually I have to depend upon others. Um, you know, I we, we, we run events. If we run them in the suburb, or in the city, we'll get good numbers. If we run them in, 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 in a, in the township area, we'll get, we'll get lower numbers. We'll get different numbers actually sometimes. And it's, it's very real. No, that was a bit of a sidetrack. Sorry. No, no, that's good. Yeah. And then the, 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 the aspect of the, the Jesus versus justice okay. issue. Yes. You, you know, like maybe you can just take us through, I mean, it's, it's origin, you know, in terms of, you mentioned the, the, the church orthodoxy or the church theology or call it um, um, the theology of 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 the state, which obviously was powered by the church. You know right. that. How did that create this dichotomy of 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 this is Jesus, but Jesus that we 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 we, we follow does not reconcile with um, fighting for the cause of those who are oppressed in in in, in our environment. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I, could, I could tell you a little bit of history, maybe, I, maybe I will. But I, th I think essentially it's coming from. Uh, I mean, it's, it's of course these things are complex. So it's got roots in the Enlightenment uh, with the European Enlightenment, with you know separating the spiritual and the, and, and the secular, and you've got all of that um, as well. And, and I think so. So you've got that kind of that that system that's dividing the two, which is which is by the way is allowing all kinds of injustices even in Europe, um, and allowing all kinds of of ways of operating so so that you can still be faithful in church if you want to be but also you can be exploiting people in your business right uh, now you have that kind of idea and obviously that kind of flourishes under an economic system such as capitalism um and so it's no surprise that we see throughout the history a really strong 
wedding together of Christianity and capitalism, um, which, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying which, what economic system is better, but I think we've got to say that there's a, that if capitalism, if the bottom line is generating profits, um, then, then you, you kind of, that's not very Christian in many ways. And in fact, I, I would argue you find it very different. And so you kind of got to find a way to have capitalism exist with uh, Christianity. And I, I think there probably are better ways. I'm, I'm not throwing all of capitalism out, although I have some serious questions about it. And then when you take something like capitalism and you see capitalism complicitly with something like the colonial project and slavery, because those are, those are integrally related. You can't separate those things out historically. We have to ask those hard questions. Uh, and then and then the problem is now, now you've, you've gone a step further. You're trying to make a profit because all of the colonialism and slavery essentially are all about economic and political power. That's, right. that's what they are. Bottom line, we create race in order that we can oppress people, in order we can make a profit. Right? Right. This is a social creation construct to, to get economic and political power. And so in order to do that, now in the midst of that, you have people who are followers of Jesus and you, your so-called Christian countries, how do you justify that? Well, you have to have, you got to create a theological justification for that. And right. so one of the ways you do that is by saying the primary thing is, is that people hear about Jesus. So even, so you can even have justifying narratives around slavery. Um, so I think, so somewhat here, but I mean, it's certainly probably in America and sort of the, the transatlantic slavery, even more so, we can say, well, these people didn't know about Jesus and, and yes, yes, they've been enslaved, but what a great opportunity that they can come here. And even though they're enslaved, we can preach the gospel to them. So, you know, we can talk about God's sovereignty and, and all those kind of things, which is yeah. just, I mean, it, it almost sounds good until you start actually thinking about it and you're going, what? Yeah. No. That, that is not how God works at all. Like, I mean, if you care about them, you know, go preach the gospel to them. But like, no, this, 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 is, <laughs> this is wrong. And right. so we, we have to create theological systems in order to justify um, our sin, essentially. And mm. so all of these things are starting from these desires of the flesh that we create narratives and, and, and justifying systems to explain them. And then we build the structures to, to embody them those narratives that we tell, whether it's the, the narratives of racial difference, of economic prosperity, of all these kind of things. Um, and so, and that's what we see happening. Um, yeah. Am, am, I, am, I, am I answering your question? I'm being, no, no, you, 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 definitely, you, you definitely are. Okay. You, uh, you definitely are. Okay. And I think I, I'm even more interested in even in some of the sort of the theological, I mean, I'm not sure what year it was. And I think one of your seminars, you mentioned, okay. I think it's in the 1800s or so, where you had this thing of, you know, of, of, of the, 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 the view on the pay, of the pagan nations. And then obviously you need to convert them into Christianity. But then they had an oh, yeah, issue okay. with regards to now let's worship together now, because now okay. you've successfully evangelized the, the, the wow. native, you know, and now. Right, let us right. let us sort of destroy the racial divide and serve a one God. Right, right, right. Okay, so I, I I was wondering if that's that that was in my mind as well. So so I mean, I'll try to give you a little bit of a background to this as well. So at the 1857 um, Synod of the Dutch Reformed Church, they essentially what they did is they they we're debating this issue of whether those who were born Christians, again, these are their words, <laughs> that's not mine, no. uh, should celebrate communion in, together with those who are raised up from amongst the heathen, mm. not my words. And this was the discussion. And this is a very real discussion. 
Um, and what had happened prior to that um, is that when when colonialism first happened in the Cape, you had the, the Dutch were ruling at the Cape for about 150 years. Mm. They weren't really that much interested in missionary work. I think they tried a bit. Uh, the Khoi had rejected them. They weren't interested. And so they just kind of had this hard... Um, um, uh, this, 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 this hard definition then, well, they must be damned to hell, this hard kind of doctrine of predestination, this really rigid thing. So they weren't bothered with them. And so white was synonymous, or Europe, white and European was synonymous with Christian, and anyone else was heathen. Um, and so that happened for about 150 years. And then there was slowly towards the end of the Dutch rule, and then when the British took over, and this is by no means glorifying the British, it just, I think it happens. Um, they they uh, they start doing two things. Sorry, and during that time of the Dutch rule, the Dutch Reformed Church was the only church that was allowed. Right. Um, and so when these things start opening up, you start having other churches come in as well. You, you also have the time of the of the worldwide missionary movement from William Carey and people and these missionary organizations start coming in. And so you have all these 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 missionaries coming in now. Amongst them, you also have um, particularly good evangelical missionaries, which is kind of the tradition I come from broadly. Um, and good evangelicals, for all their faults, one of the things they do is they share the gospel with everybody. That's yes, kind sure. of bottom line. And so including the wrong people. There's air quotes there, by the way, for those listening. And, and so what happens is you start sharing the gospel with all kinds of people, including those who supposedly uh, were, you know, were predestined for hell. Well, God starts working. So you start having people get saved. Um, as well as that, you, at, at the similar time, the, the Dutch Reformed Church were struggling to, fall, uh, to find ministers for their churches that they already had. Uh, they wanted to send back to Holland for, new, uh, for, for, um, for ministers. Of course, the British and the Dutch hated each other, so there's no way they wanted to get Dutch ministers yet. So they said, oh, what about the Scottish Presbyterians? They're, they're, they're similar to you theologically. Um, and, you know, they're evangelicals as well, so they're pretty safe. They're not going to rock the boat. <laughs> they didn't say that. I added that in. <laughs> and so they say, so they get all these Scottish Presbyterians to come out who, who form part of the Dutch Reformed Church. And if you're familiar with church history, you may be familiar with names like Andrew Murray and John Murray. Um, in fact, the whole Murray clan and others, and they come out here. And God does use them. There's great revivals under their work. But, again, they're also sharing the gospel as ministers in the Dutch Reformed Church with all kinds of people. And now that puts us at the point where we're going, what do we do? We have all these people together in the church in a country uh, which has been petrified of Chalikstalin or living together. And this was the big issue. Like, If we allow people to have um, communion together, will it lead to this Chalikstalin? And um, so they, they have, so they, they're at the... Um, the the synod and obviously it goes back and forth and round and round trying to work this out and and say what do we do about this and at the end of it they kind of they come to this conclusion um, and it's quite significant actually the wording they use is so they say even though we agree it's both desirable and biblical so desirable we think it's the right thing to do biblically we we think we, we we're convinced this is what God is saying um, that those who are you know you know the those who have been raised up from the heathen will enjoy their their Christian rights. They even use that language sure. in the same building as the born Christians because of the weakness of some. That's what they say. Sure. We recommend that they should enjoy their Christian rights in a separate building. Now, the weakness of some, of course, were the rich and powerful Christians, predominantly of the Dutch persuasion, who 
were opposed to this chalek standard. So first of all, I think they're abusing Romans 14, the weakness of some. I think it's straight out sin. Um, But so firstly, they're saying, because we don't want to see the church split, uh, because we we don't want to see that, then then we will split the church. So that's the first problem. Sure. And secondly, these obviously were people who are funding the mission to share the gospel uh, so that people could hear about Jesus with indigenous people, with freed slaves, with those kind of communities. And so... That, and because the theology said the most important thing is that they hear the gospel of Jesus redeeming us for heaven, we don't want to do anything to compromise that. Hmm. And so if we upset these Christians with the power and the money um, and the influence, they will actually hinder the mission of evangelism. Hmm. So if evangelism becomes important even above the, the dignity and the worth and the humanity, even if, uh, of the, the unity of the church. So, so – the, so what's interesting is evangelical missionaries make a pragmatic decision. They weren't actually in favor of this. They weren't in favor of dividing the church, but they make a pragmatic decision that the most important thing is proclamation of the gospel. Right. Therefore, let's not do anything to get in the way of that. And so they they sign off. In fact, they, it's their idea. It's I think it's one of the Murrays who comes up with this idea that says, we will have celebrate communion in separate buildings. Now, not to put everything on that 1857 synod, but of course we can trace the history from separate buildings to separate churches to separate denom- to entire separate denominations. Some of which, by the way, are not reconciled to this day. Sure. And so, what happens then is when the apartheid theologians, uh, so, sorry, just, let me go back. Just a, 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 a little. Insert there. So often we want to blame, and certainly as a as an English speaking South African, uh, we want to put all the blame on the Dutch Reformed Church. Right. Um, and they've got a lot to answer for. They do. <laughs> but actually, the seeds of apartheid are sown by evangelical missionaries. Sure. Because when the Dutch, by these pragmatic mission decisions and by the theology of evangelical theologians. So because when the Dutch Reformed theologians come and they want to implement this policy, this doctrine of apartheid, um, because it was a doctrine before it was a law, Hmm. what they're doing is they're they're not faced with this problem of all these multiple, uh, you know, multicultural, multi-ethnic churches that they want to split up. They're actually just finding a way to justify what already exists sure. because of the pragmatic decisions. Churches are already separate, and they want to keep them separate, and they want to find a way to say this is God's desire. And so they come up with this uh, neo-Calvinistic doctrine of apartheid to actually explain and justify what's already existing. And so, yes, apartheid theology is wrong, and that's almost the easy one for me. Like, yeah. we can see that. We, we know that was wrong. Right. But we've got to go back and say, hang on, the, the good just pro- preach the gospel theology laid the foundations for this. Mm. Have we gone back and examined our theology and said, how did our theology both lead to this? And then even in the apartheid theology, we have to say, for those that's coming from those kind of traditions, we say, how did our, how did our good theology ever sign off on this? Sure. How did we ever sign off to be a church at peace with apartheid? Yeah. Well, where, where was that? Like, well, yeah. 
Sure. Yeah. There's so much meat in there. <laughs> Sorry. And 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 I, I I'm so You're asking great questions. <laughs> no, no. I'm so conflicted. I'm not even sure where to ask you. It's almost like you know, it's like just multiple channels of, you know, so much <laughs> good stuff coming up. You know. Um. Yeah. And and because you know, even the more you speak about 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 the origin, it's almost like I. It's like I mean. I, I feel in many respects, you know, you, you, you speak about them when there was a powerful thing that you mentioned that we will divide to prevent division, you know, um, that type of thing that, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the irony, you know, that is hidden yeah. in plain sight of, of just the incongruency of their theological positions that simply put, it's just serving the flesh, you know, serving what you want, you know, in, in that. And it's almost like there are so many of those kinds of things. You're mentioning the fact that have we examined our theology? Have we examined, you know, because oftentimes we just quote, you know, whether, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, we quote certain theologians and all that kind of stuff. And we are grateful. Like, again, I love the fact that you do mention the fact that, you know, we are not saying, you know, we are not um, sort of saying, making a pronouncement on their salvation. I thought that was quite, 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 quite profound and, and quite powerful and also helpful that critiquing someone, you know, because again, I think that's where they, they, we, we, we tend to run to these extremes, almost like the same reason why somebody yeah. would say, um, you know, we worked hard. So therefore, there can't be injustice because I worked hard right, for this. Right. And therefore, I'm blind to be able to see this. And I think that the, there's the same parallel type of uh, ideology or thinking, you know, that sort of always sort of goes into this existential crisis thing if I acknowledge certain things, you know. And I think the same is true with our theology, that if we acknowledge the broken foundation, you know, someone say, okay, so you mean all these theologians that have given us all these things, you know, um, you know, they are going to hell and, and whatever, I mean, we, the ex- extremity we, 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 we attribute to it, you know, that in itself becomes a barrier to honest um, re-evaluation, you know, to Mm. honest assessment of what components of our theology are from these toxic roots that were never examined and the real genesis or the motive or the justification behind them was selfish reasons, was pragmatism, you know, uh, to, uh, to, to enable us to, 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 to keep things as I, not upset people. And I feel that in many ways, it's almost like we are doing the same thing, but it's a whole lot more complex. So they were doing it on donkeys or, I mean, horses. We're doing it on the iPhone. <laughs> Right. <laughs> are you with yeah. me? We, we've kind of sort of, um, it's more subtle, you know, it's more sophisticated, you know, it's how it expresses itself in, in church, for example, you know, wow. you know how, how do we do multiculturalism? You know, are we multiracial? But if you look at the fact that we have excluded people, you know, by saying, well, we're multiracial, but we'll have a, a uniculture and we're going to continue. If we dare you know, introduce anything that doesn't serve a particular palette in here. You know, yeah. I'm not willing to die on the hill of diversity. And so we yeah, will yeah. perpetuate this, you know, as long as we keep the peace. Right. Yeah. And so in, in your view, you know, how do you see it? This, this, this type of thinking still 
in as much as obviously it's not the same and you said saying apartheid theology is an easy one you know but how is it in many ways still expressing itself in how we engage whether it's socio-economic issues where we look at spheres must fall we look at the the looting mm-hmm. or we look at how we do church do we see mm-hmm. it uh, still manifesting in the pew even today that's John Skippers, everyone, founder and director of Isi Pambano Center for Biblical Justice, a reservoir of contextual theology. What a gift to the body of Christ. Trust that you are kept at the edge of your seat throughout the discussion. If you want to hear John answer the question I've just posed to him, pull in again next week, same time. Sa Laniga. Until next time. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Context. We pray that today's podcast helps you live your best life for God and that you're encouraged to invite others to do the same. If today's discussion was helpful to you, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. In doing so, you will help others learn more about living for God in our context. If you would like to get in touch with us, please contact us on the details in the description. Because truly, context is everything.